Today we uh, complete our study of uh, the little New Testament letter of James, a letter to believers who have been dislocated and uh, chased all over the Mediterranean world by the persecution that, that followed the stoning of Stephen. And if you had their Bibles either with you or on your smartphone, be sure to load it if you don't have it on your phone. Load that so you've got it with you wherever you go. We get, begin with James chapter 5, verse 12. <clears throat> Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. Well, it's been quite a week, hasn't it? Man, hard to believe it was just last week that we were gathered together here and we got to meet Pastor Scott and his family. Wasn't that wonderful if you were here? Yeah, how amazing. Thank you, Lord, for the answer to many prayers. Is that not true? I ask now that you continue to pray for the Lord to supply a new pastor for my former church in Whitefish, Montana, because they are still searching. As I said, we are finishing our study today of James. Let me say again, if you remember, Pastor James wrote this letter to Jerusalem Christians, the church, early church in Jerusalem, who was scattered all over the Mediterranean world by the persecution following the stoning of Stephen. It seems that this uh, virus that we have today is doing the same sort of thing. The stock market has gone down, all that kind of stuff, and it's kind of a frightening time. I think this is pretty, pretty relevant to what we're experiencing even today. It's the world that we live in. And Pastor James, for that's what he is, reminds uh, his congregation that if they are going to survive in troubled times, they need to stay tight to Jesus. Stay tight to Jesus. And as Christians... Uh, our lives and our struggles, because we'll go through them, are never about us. Okay? We need to remember that. That as Christians, when we go through struggle, 
when we go through hard times, the Lord is in the midst of us. And it's never just about us. God allows his people to go through these difficult times for a reason. What's the reason? Well, remember what, what Jesus said? Maybe you can read it with me. For God so loved the world, that's the nations, that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not die but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so he sends us, he sends us as his people, and many times that's a dislocation, as he sends us out to accomplish that job. So how do we do that? Well, let me say again, we need to stay tight to Jesus. Will you say that with me? Stay tight to Jesus. No matter what happens, no matter where the stock market goes, no matter what kind of virus is running amok, stay tight to Jesus just as he stayed tight to his father while he was on earth. You remember how he got up early in the morning while it was still dark and went out and prayed with his father? He stayed tight with his father in order to endure the difficulties that he faced in his ministry among us on earth. In the same way that Jesus was displaced, and this is how we started our study of this letter, Jesus was displaced from heaven by his Father to live among us. Can you imagine what that must have been like for him? Difficult, displaced, and put among us. In the same way that that happened, so Jesus brought each of you to Big Sky. He did it. He's sovereign. He brought you here for a reason, so that you might be a witness to those who are here who don't yet have the hope that you have that comes through Jesus. Are you with me here? Amen? Have I put you to sleep already? (laughs) All right. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was loving the people who hung him there. He was praying for them, even while they were cursing him and persecuting him. And he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they didn't. And he interceded for them, even in the midst of the abuse that he was taking. He was interceding for them and the righteous judgment of God that was coming against them. He took their sin upon himself and he gave them, he offered them his own sinful righteousness as a gift. He took God's curse for sin upon himself so that those sinners who hung him there and who hated him, so that they could be forgiven. And he's asking the same of us as we follow him. But it wasn't just the sins of the bad people, those bad religious leaders and and soldiers and crooked politicians. It was the sins of his own disciples as well. Remember what Peter did when the servant girl confronted him there at the campfire that night? It says he swore. He cursed. He lied. He took God's name in vain. 
He even denied knowing Jesus. Do you know anybody that's done that? When Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He was praying, not only about all those bad people. He was praying about his own disciples, Peter and James and John, and you and me. Because we've done that too. We've cursed. We've swore. We've lied. We've taken God's name in vain, whether aloud or whether in our hearts. We've even secretly wished evil on our enemies when they've been persecuting us. I hope they get coronavirus. We serve them right. I hope he misses that putt. I hope her cake falls. How childish. How childish, how petty, how evil. Why do we do that? Why do we, who should know better, still do that? Why do we self-righteously rejoice when our enemy suffers? Why do we secretly resent it? when our enemy succeeds. There must be something desperately wrong in the human heart. And there is. You see, sin isn't just bad behavior. Some people would say that. I've had had Christians tell me, well, I I don't think I've sinned in the last two weeks. Sin isn't just bad behavior. Bad behavior is a symptom of sin. The sin is a deadly virus, a spiritual infection, a progressive fatal disease that is within us all. We inherited it. It's in our blood. And only Jesus can heal it. We've all been infected. And if we're going to have any success in our witness to the world, and that's what we want, we want to shine for Jesus. We're first going to have to deal with that. We're going to have to deal with the sinfulness in our own hearts before revival will come to America. I'm worried about America. We are in a terrifying place. But it's not because of coronavirus or the drop in the stock market. Those are, those are just events. It's because we as a nation have walked away from God, who is the only source of our life and our salvation. And we cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus can save us. And we need to get right with him. We need a spiritual revival to sweep across our nation. We need it to happen in the White House and in the Senate and in the Congress. We need it to happen in in our our cities and, and with our leaders and with our teachers and with our parents and with our children. But revival won't happen until it first begins with us in his church. Right here. 
In our text today, James tells us how to get started, and this is why it's so important for us to be in the Word, for us to be in our, in our Bibles, finding a place and a time every day when we can read and ask the Lord to show us what He wants. And this is His Word for today. Pastor James ends this little letter with a, with a warning, and he writes this in verse 12. Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or earth or any other oath, let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, if you'll study the scriptures, you'll find connections all through the the scripture. That scripture agrees with scripture. And, and this place in scripture, it comes from that place in scripture, comes from that place in scripture. And, and, and it's all one story. Okay, and that, that originates in the second commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In other words, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Luther in his small catechism, which he wrote for parents to help uh, their children to understand, he, he puts the meaning to that second commandment this way. We are to fear and love God so that we do not use God's name superstitiously or use it to curse or swear or lie or deceive, but call on him in prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. Well, he got that from Jesus because Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 5 put it this way. You have heard it said to the people long ago, don't break your oath. But fulfill it to the Lord, fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, it's its footstool, or by Jerusalem, or the city of the great king. That's what people were doing. They were making all these oaths, and depending on what you swore the oath by, depending on how serious your oath was. You know, children sometimes do that kind of, play that kind of silly game. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair <clears throat> white or black. All you need is to simply say yes or no. Beyond this, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. If you want to stay tight to Jesus, we must first respect his name. Okay, and that's a problem in our culture. We must never use it in a flippant or dis disrespectful way, like, oh my God. I mean, that's OMG, you know, that's a big one in our culture today. Or just Jesus in a flippant sort of way. We even make a jokes out of it. <clears throat> Is this a come to Jesus moment? Don't do that. How can we expect others to, to respect the name of Jesus if we don't speak that name with reverence? If you've been struggling, misusing God's name, repent. Say, God, forgive me. Ask God to change your heart and clean up your mouth for the sake of the witness that he wants you to have. Make it your aim to have the words of your mouth always bring glory to God. Instead of swearing, James tells us, as his church, if you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, <clears throat> sing songs of praise. If you're sick, call the elders of the church to pray over you. Anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. 
And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. This is what the life of the church is supposed to look like. This is what our life together is supposed to look like. We're to, first of all, be honest with one another. How you doing? I'm, I'm just fine. I'm nice. I'm just fine. We're to be honest with each other and quit pretending to be something that we aren't. Quit pretending that we're just fine. Instead, we are to confess our needs, our weaknesses, our sins to one another. Now, you can only do that if the person you're talking to is going to treat that with respect. But if they're going to run off and blab that all over the community, then there's no way that we're going to be able to do that. So you have to be respectful about the kind of things that are shared with you. We're to confess our sins to each other and ask for forgiveness. See, when we sin, we we not only sin against God, we sin against one another. We sin against one another. So we not only ask God for forgiveness, we ask each other forgiveness. And then we give forgiveness. Because we've been forgiven. We let go of resentments and and grudges. And sometimes that's hard for us to do and our pride gets in the way. But who am I to judge my neighbor? I need to to let go of resentment and grudges and confess them in sin and ask God to help. Lord, cleanse my heart of any resentment I may hang on to. Sometimes we hang on to that for decades, for decades. And it does no good except interfere with our relationship with the Lord and with other people. The truth is we can't do anything without Jesus. We can't do anything without him. So why pretend that we can't? This isn't somebody else's job. This belongs to us as a church. We need to get this right. If we, if we expect the world to fill this place, we need to first get this right. It's our first order of business. James is not describing something weird or hyper-spiritual here. He's describing the way that it's supposed to be. This is the way every Christian fellowship is supposed to work. It's describing a relationship of living faith. Faith that's in action. Well, why is it that we don't get that done? What interferes with us? Well, sometimes we're afraid to pray because we don't really believe that God is there. Or maybe we're ashamed to ask God because of some sin that we've committed that we we just don't want to deal with. Either we're in denial about it, or maybe we don't want to let go of it. We've got those secret things we'd like to hang on to, and, and we know if we're going to move to the next level with the Lord, <clears throat> we're going to have to let go. And we're not sure we're ready to do that. Or maybe we're afraid that God isn't trustworthy, <clears throat> that we can't trust God to show up. You know, God always shows up. It's us that doesn't show up. He promises wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he'll be there. It isn't God who's absent. It's our lack of faith. 
that gets in the way. Sometimes it's our refusal, as I said, to give up our sinful ways that, that hinder our prayers. It's like having a, having a, a disease, a, a deadly disease, uh, and, but we're in denial about it. And so you think, well, maybe if I don't go to the doctor, I won't die. <laughs> if I go to the doctor, he'll tell me I'm sick and then I'll die, you know. I mean, how strange. Or maybe it's our fear of what others might say if, if they think we're getting too tight to Jesus. They think we're getting too religious or taking this Jesus thing too far. Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. I remember meeting with a group of pastors. We were talking about a crisis in our community. And I said, well, I guess we better pray about this. One of the other pastors said, you mean it's come to that? <laughs> he was just kidding, of course, but why is that the last place we go when it should be the first place we go? It's because we think we can do it on our own, and the truth is we can't. We can't. We can't take our next breath on our own. Here's the point. Don't run away from Jesus. Run to him. Did you hear that? Don't run away from Jesus. Run to him. Will you say that with me? Don't run away from Jesus. Run to him. He's your only hope. He's the only hope for this world. Living faith is a verb. It involves submitting ourselves to God's will. It means getting on our knees, even on our faces, and confessing our pride and sin and anything else that gets in between us. And pleading with the Lord to cleanse us and forgive us. And, and then getting up and, and following Him. Prayer isn't the last place we go, it's the first place that we go. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Weary and burdened from what? Trying to do it yourself. That's what it is, okay? You're tired of trying to do it yourself. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my yoke upon you, and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Easy and light compared to trying to do it yourself. Trying to be your own savior. What a hopeless task. Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Your will, your kingdom be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you willing for God's kingdom to come in you? Are you willing to let go of whatever it is that's standing between you and the kingdom of God? coming in your heart? Are you willing for God's will to be done in you right now? God's will, whatever that might mean. You know, God's will for you might be suffering. 
But I'll tell you what, if you're in the middle of God's will, you can handle anything. Absolutely anything. And it'll become something that brings you joy. And something that brings life to the people that are around you. If you're not willing for God's kingdom to come, if you're not willing for God's will to be done in you and in your church right now, then you're just pretending to be a Christian. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. If you're not willing for God's kingdom to come in you and in your church, you're just pretending. You're just pretending to be the church. We'll never see the world one for Christ until we are willing to die to ourselves and live for Jesus in the place he's put us. Until we are willing to stay tight to Jesus, even if the world ridicules us, makes fun of us. Here's how the writer to the Hebrews put it. Therefore, since we have a a great high priest who has ascended into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold firmly, firmly, that means stay tight to him, to the faith, faith we profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He knows our struggle. He's not going to condemn us. He's going to help us. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of our need. My biggest need isn't for God to fix my circumstances. It's for God to fix my heart. Morning by morning by morning by morning. And for that to happen, I need to run to Him. Run to Him. Stay tight to Him. There is no other name given among men by which we can be saved. Don't let anybody fool you. It's not the Republicans. Not the Democrats. Not the progressives or the conservatives. It's not money or popularity or fame or fortune or success or approval. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can save us and help us become what he created us to be. Move us beyond our circumstances. Stay tight to him. So James continues, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Be honest with each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So what does James mean by by righteous? The prayer of a righteous person. Well, what it doesn't mean is sinless, because there are no sinless people in this room. There are no sinless people in the world. Only Jesus was sinless. Righteous means a right relationship of faith. Right relationship of faith. Staying tight to him by humble faith. And then James gives us here the example of Elijah. It says, Elijah, that great prophet of old, was a man like us. What James means here is that Elijah was a sinner like us. He struggled with the same things we struggle with. He wasn't different than us. We are sinful and there's only one degree of full. We have a fatal progressive disease that will never be completely healed until we leave this world. But Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross. And he's forgiven us. He's covered us with his righteousness. He's surrounded us with his grace. He's made us his own. 
has put his Holy Spirit within us. So we will have the power to confess him and to share about him in this broken, confused world. And James reminds us how powerfully that God used this ordinary sinner named Elijah. Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. It was a time of incredible spiritual crisis in Israel. Not unlike what we face today. And at the end of that drought, he prayed and the rain came and the earth produced its crops. Amazing story is in 1 Kings 17 and 18. The point that James is making here isn't Elijah's holiness. He had none. But the point is, if God can use a sinner like Elijah to bring the nation of Israel back to himself, then God can use people like us to bring America back to himself. And it can begin right here in Big Sky. So James ends his letter with these words. Brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth, any wanderers among us this morning? Yeah, me too. And someone should bring him back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. We are to be each other's keepers. We're to help each other, encourage each other, and pray for each other. In order to do that, we must stay tight to Jesus. Hear this. Don't let anything pull you away from Jesus. Don't let anything distract you from him. Cling to him. Trust him. Obey him, no matter what the cost. Learn about him as if your life depended on it, because, to be honest, it does. And pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. As if their lives depended on it. Because to be honest, it does. Will you pray with me? Lord, our nation is in turmoil. Our fear is overwhelming us. In our anxiety, we are attacking each other. Yet every resource we need is found in you. It's your love that drives out fear. You are our healer. You heal our souls, you heal our bodies, our spirits, our minds. You alone bring unity. Love flows from you. Hope, joy, peace, even prosperity come from you alone. So turn us back. Turn us back as your people, the church, and turn our nation back to you and turn our leaders back to you. Forgive our sin and heal our land. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.